0: Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen.
1: Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life.
0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We ended up getting a bunch of feedback after our first podcast, which was a huge encouragement. So thank you.
1: Yeah, we love hearing back from people. I am an extrovert in an introverted life. And I so I, I love hearing from people. So thanks to everyone who reached out to us.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm a introvert in an extrovert's life, but I like hearing from people anyway. <laughs> yeah. We woke up this morning. It's Black Friday, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people are out shopping and getting good deals. But we woke up and we had a cup of coffee uh, sitting in front of our window, staring at our, our backyard, and that was a whole lot more enjoyable to me than walking through a store. But
1: Yeah, totally. i I much rather... Be here on the Friday after Thanksgiving with you on the farm. <laughs> yeah, we have, um, so we have this big, huge window that overlooks our farm, and we moved in. I was kind of thinking about, okay, what kind of curtains do you put up, or you know, what do you do? But then we realized, oh my gosh... Why would we cover up this view? So we have no curtains or shades or anything. It's just this big window and you see everything and it's so beautiful. And today we are watching the the farm and it's really neat because, so like I said in the last podcast, we have 24 chickens and we have a chicken pasture that we keep them in most of the year. And how big would you say that chicken pasture is, like a half
0: acre? It's like a half acre.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. we have plants everywhere. We have all the herbs and we have the forest garden. So we can't really let the chickens just out everywhere because then they would eat everything. But now that everything is going dormant, I let the chickens out of the chicken pasture. And it's so fun because they're all over my garden and we're just watching them. They're like a fine tooth comb just going through and eating all these bugs and they're just turning up the soil and they're they're fertilizing my gardens for next year so everything will just burst everything will be naturally fertilized and burst into life.
0: Oh yeah they just roam the entire yard. It's yeah. really fun to watch them run around together. Yeah
1: but you can never have a person I feel like our animals are the best employees because you could never have a person go through with a magnifying glass and find all the little bugs. Like I feel like they're gonna get our tick population down and flies it's so cool.
0: Oh, yeah, and then just spreading fertilizer without any work.
1: Yeah, we don't, they're free. We just have to feed them, <laughs> give them water, and give and them a home. they're fun to watch. So. They're so pretty.
0: Yeah, we saw the cat out there this morning, and she was going through the pasture and found a vole. Well, she
1: was in your orchard. She found a vole in your orchard. Yeah,
0: which is really great because um, when you get we get deeper into the winter, especially if it snows, and the only thing that's green that's sticking up above the ground is the little saplings of the fruit trees, the voles will eat eat the bark off of them and kill them. Uh, so it's really great to have the cat out there hunting them.
1: And yeah. And seeing her bring it up every morning, pretty much I go outside and there is a vole or a mouse laying there for me, my nice oh,
0: present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's kind of gross, but she's getting like, yeah, she's getting one pretty much every day. Yeah. Now. But
1: she's like, she's our little employee. I mean, again, we wouldn't have a an employee out there hunting voles. I mean, that'd be pretty hard to find someone to do with that skill of vole <laughs> hunting. And so yeah, the cat hunts the bull. So we see the cat out there working the chickens and then the dogs are just kind of ru- running around the property patrolling which is great because I see hawks around, and we had a lot of foxes and raccoons when we moved in. But with our dogs, those things are not coming near the chickens. I mean, yeah,
0: we have yet to, leave to lose a chicken from a hawk. I mean, it could happen any day, but I we think that the hawks are probably just afraid to to come near the dogs.
1: Yeah, I've seen them watching the chickens, but they don't come down to the ground. And then the other thing is, when we moved in, our, uh, the previous owners were just telling us all the stories about raccoons. They just said, "Hey, you're gonna have we have so many raccoons in the barn and fox." And again, with our dogs, not one raccoon, not one fox. We haven't lost a chicken. Our dogs are so great.
0: Oh, yeah, they keep them away.
1: Yeah, so our dogs are patrolling, uh, what other? Oh, the cows. And then the cows are eating the grass, fertilizing it. Next spring, everything is just going to be heavily fertilized and burst into life.
0: It's just really interesting to watch all of this happening. You yeah, see you, all these different creatures out there doing their thing.
1: Yeah, they're all out there working. They're so awesome. Well, our dog, Blue, who I talked about, the genius dog, He's Again, so smart. So what he does, when the chickens in the summer, when they're in their pasture, every once in a while they might escape if a, a gate's left open or something might happen and I might have a chicken escape. And so I train Blue to help me corner the chickens and then my son will like throw them over. And I only I'm not a dog trainer. I just said, hey, Blue, help me out here, we're going to chase the chicken over. I just kind of talked to him and I showed him. I'm like, we're going to chase the chicken in the corner and then we're going to put the chicken back. And he loved it. He got it right away. We, he chased that chicken into the corner of the fence in the barn and then my son would throw it over or I would it's throw really the chicken over. It's really helpful
0: because when a chicken doesn't want to be caught, it's really You cannot hard. chase a chicken. Oh my gosh, yeah. and they
1: zigzag and you're looking like an they idiot. Don't, they run kind of
0: fast <laughs> and then they flap their wings. They don't really fly, but yeah. that makes them run a whole lot faster. But
1: Blue's like a rocket, so he just goes after these chickens and corners them. When we first got him, I think he thought it might be fun to attack a chicken but we were like no don't do that he got that he learned don't attack the chicken just chase it into the corner but now that the chickens are out he was all excited thinking oh great i get to chase all the chickens and we i said i just looked at him i said no blue we're not chasing the chickens they're allowed out now and i swear the dog can understand me he does not chase the chickens
0: He's so smart i have
1: not seen him chase a chicken he is
0: so smart so i love he that dog. the chickens when we need him to and then just leave them alone when we don't
1: that craigslist mutt you know that nobody would have wanted i don't know what i would is so helpful he's so great and bella our other dog the one that was really bad she's just huge and she's just terrifying looking she looks like an arctic wolf and i think just the sight of her keeps oh yeah keeps animals away the sound of her
0: bark right we 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 didn't know any of this a few years ago but the whole point of coming out here and setting up the homestead is that all of this stuff works together. So everything has a purpose and a function. And so it's really neat to, as we learn more and more, how to get the chickens to work for us and the dogs to work for us and the cats to work for us. And Mm -hmm. everything fits together into this neat um, symbiotic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we don't have any um, help really on the farm. We don't have anybody that we hire anyone that comes to help us but our animals are just such a huge help and they work for food
0: yeah <laughs> so and shelter so and that's, that's how great. we're yeah that's how we're trying to do a lot of things you know we like if you had asked me what was it like to grow a vegetable garden before I would have thought that sounds like a you know a lot of work you know, a whole bunch of weeding and watering and mm-hmm. all kinds of tilling who knows what you have to do and the vegetable garden, the forest garden, um, the way we're working with the animals is to try and set them up so that there's as little of that kind of work involved as possible. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, when you, when you drive by, um, a forest on the side of the road, no one's doing anything for that. And if it's, you know, it can be thriving. So we want to, we want to be trying to do the same thing here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Work with nature. You know, nature has a way to make it, it all work. So, today we're going to talk a little bit about the why, the deeper why we're here on the homestead. Last episode we kind of just introduced ourselves and how we got here. And today we wanted to share a little foundation of why we're here. And it's really interesting because we did not know why <laughs> we were doing this. Like before, like a, over a, a little over a year ago, when we moved out here, we kind of felt this desire. We felt this call, this excitement.
0: We wanted to get away from congestion.
1: Yeah, and and we didn't really understand the deeper why, and that's really been like our eyes have just recently started to open up to this, and I think in ten years we'll e- understand why even more. So we kind of, like I said before, we stepped out in faith without understanding how it would turn out or why we were doing it. We just knew we had this desire. And now we're starting to see why.
0: We're getting really high quality food. And that's one of the big reasons, but it's definitely not the biggest reason.
1: Yeah. High quality food, healthy food. That is a big part of it. But again, like Pete said, that is not the only reason. And we don't eat perfectly. We know that if we tried to eat perfectly, we would fail. I mean we live in the same culture as everybody else. We're not we're not like totally set apart, we're not self-sufficient. It's still gonna be a couple years till we really get a big harvest of fruit. So we understand that we're just gonna take baby steps and so we still give our kids junk. sometimes we still eat junk I mean
0: we had Thanksgiving dinner at my mom's my mom and dad's house last night and you know two of our kids, ate bread followed by dessert. You yes. Know, yeah.
1: I mean, we're yeah, not perfect. That's where they're at. Yeah. And I don't ever want... So we have some friends that might listen to this podcast, and I don't want anyone to ever feel weird having us over or have to like apologize for the food you bring. Like We don't eat perfectly. So healthy eating is something that we're understanding, we're getting excited about, we're working towards, but... And when
0: you want to do something like we're doing, it takes years to yeah. get to a point where, where I think we'll be mostly feeding ourselves
1: yeah and when you're a culture change takes a long time and if you've eaten a whole one way your whole life if you think you're just going to change everything at once i mean that's just a really unrealistic expectation so we have mercy on ourselves we we don't eat perfectly so again healthy eating is a reason it's not the only reason we are finding that one of the deeper reasons of why we're here is we are trying to raise our children and really live our lives in a culture that respects life, a culture of life. And so we're just going to kind of explain what we are finding that to be today in this episode. So the term culture of life came from St. John Paul II, our previous pope. Oh, my goodness. No, our two previous two popes ago. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Don't forget We're about getting that old. Yeah. Three popes. Oh, my goodness. So... <laughs> So, John Paul II, in the 1990s, he wrote his encyclical, one of his encyclicals, "The Gospel of Life," in which he addressed, addressed the world and he he talked about us the need to build a culture of life. He kind of said there is this growing culture of death that is a society confer, concerned with efficiency, and that we need to to work to build a, a culture of life. And he's really, in his encyclical, he's talking about human life. And he, he just restates the, the value of all life in all of its forms, um, human life. He really focuses on human life, the, the dignity. We are all made in the image and likeness of God. And we need to work to preserve life, whether it's convenient or not, um, in all of its forms. We are building a culture that respects life. Um, and that was just something that we, a lot of us, grew up in, like a culture that that sees that that we're all made in the image and likeness of God, and we respect life no matter what.
0: Yeah, a lot of people have probably heard that before because of John Paul too. We grew up uh, with that, hearing that a lot. the... Mm-hmm. the, the culture of life, and he was somebody who lived through communism and, and Nazism in mm-hmm. Poland and saw where the 20, 20th and 21st centuries were going, mm-hmm. and so he calls a lot of that stuff out and talks about really upholding the dignity of the human person.
1: Yeah, definitely, and that was, you know, you know, we are so thankful for him for that, and I was reading Pope Francis's encyclical, Lodato Si, which is, praise be to you.
0: Which is really cool because it it just happened that the day that the offer was accepted for us to buy this farm was the day that Laudato Si was released.
1: Yeah, that was amazing because we felt this call in our hearts to get close to nature and you know, kind of thought we might be a little crazy. We shared that story last time. And then all of a sudden, the Pope writes this letter to the world about respecting nature and getting close to nature. And we were like, oh, it just felt it was so exciting. It felt like the biggest confirmation yeah, of what we like we're doing. Yeah, it's like our mission statement. Yeah, it was amazing. It was just amazing to see your Holy Father kind of just affirming everything that you're doing. It was it was really cool. So anyway, I'm re- I'm reading Laudato Si, and I'm reading it and I'm like, this is like everything I was raised in a culture of to believe a culture of life. but and, and in this encyclical, Pope Francis is upholding everything that St. John Paul II said of building a culture of life, but he's just taking it to a different level. So John Paul II really focused that encyclical on human life, and then Pope Francis is taking it deeper. He's taking it down to every aspect of life, from the soil to the water to, to animals to plants. He's talking about all living things. So we're finding that when we say we want to build a culture of life, our eyes are kind of have this year been opened like, hey, okay, that doesn't just mean human life. It really means a culture that respects all life.
0: Absolutely. So when we use the word culture, what we're talking about is the way that we think, the way that we interact, the way that the things that we support and spend our time and our money on. Um, It's not just big issues. So when I thought culture of life before, I was thinking this just means big issues, Mm -hmm. almost political issues. Um, And it does mean those things, and those are important. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about all of the underlying currents and the ways that we spend our time, the ways that we spend our thought, the ways that we speak speak and interact together, um, and our habits.
1: Yeah, right. A culture is not just those big decisions. A culture is the little, small, everyday moments, like the food that you eat, that's a huge part of your culture. The TV shows that you watch, the movies that you watch, the music that you listen to. And we're finding that building a culture of life is really all about the small Issues, the That's small, where we
0: spend 99% of issues. our, of our yep. life mm-hmm. is in, is in the, the routine and the daily and right. yeah, all of those small things. Right.
1: And, and one thing that we've always kind of um, believed is that a culture of death is really rooted in a culture of convenience, a culture of me. I want what I want when I want it. I want what is convenient. I want what feels good. And when you're only focusing on you and what you want when you want it, then living things around you just become kind of a a vehicle or an object for you having what you want when you want it. That's the way you view other living things when your mindset is always focused on me, me, me. So our hope is to raise our children and for our mindsets to be focused on respecting, not seeing what I can get out of other living things, but how I can respect it. Um, if we're always teaching our children, I can have what I want when I want it, then why do we expect them in those big decisions to always choose what is right? If every day their minds, their habits, their way of thinking, their minds are being formed around a, an idea of me, 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 what I want when I want it.
0: And we also know that this is the most satisfying way to live life. Like Mm -hmm. being able to get out of me, me, me and into the world and the people all around me is a much more satisfying way to live.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to give a little um, concrete story of maybe just the way we want our children's minds to be formed in, in respecting life, respecting creation. So I think in the past, this... This is kind of an example of how we've always lived and I think it's a story that maybe a lot of just average families can relate to. So let's just say, um, for the sake of our story, it's February and there is snow on the ground And I've got my kids, and we're getting ready to go to the store. And my kids say, Mom, we want strawberries. And I say, oh, great. My kids want strawberries. That's not junk food. Yay, I'm such a good mom. My kids want fruit. So we go to the store, and we just grab some strawberries. And we come home, and my kids are like, strawberries, strawberries. We want strawberries. And so I give them the strawberries. We're not really thankful for the strawberries. We didn't really work hard for the strawberries. Uh, The strawberries don't even really taste like real strawberries. They're not juicy, they aren't really sweet, they're kind of bitter. The kids eat them, they leave a lot of the strawberry left on that green part, they eat them without really thinking about it, they run away and go play, and I throw away the leftover strawberries. And I think that's just kind of a, a normal way of living, but I think what it kind of teaches is, hey, I want what I want and I can get that when I want it. And I don't have to really think about who worked to grow it, where it came from. I don't have to give much thought to it if it's the real thing or the counterfeit. I'll set settle for that counterfeit strawberry. It doesn't even really taste like a real strawberry because I just want to fulfill you know, my desire in that moment. And we're we're not thankful for it. Don't even really give much thought to it.
0: And we realize, too, then that... that this is a new concept in human history. Never mm-hmm. before have you been able to walk into a store and buy strawberries in the middle of the winter. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a thing.
1: Yeah, and I think what that reinforces in the brain is creation is kind of revolving around me, and I get to have, if I wanted, I get to have it. So that's kind of one way of living. That's one daily kind of way of just viewing life. Here's a new way that we're finding that our eyes are being opened to, and that is... It's February and there's snow on the ground and we're going to the store and my boys say, "We want strawberries." And I say, "Oh man, guys, I want strawberries too. Strawberries are so good, but look, it's February and there's snow on the ground. And this is not this is not God's time for strawberries. We're going to have to wait for strawberries. And we're going to wait for the real thing." And so we think about strawberries, we get excited for strawberries and spring comes and we go outside and we see the strawberries that we have planted the year before and we watch them grow and we care for them and we see them getting red and juicy and when it's time to pick them we go and we pick them and we're so thankful for them because we had to wait and we had to work for it and we saw a miracle in in nature happen we saw these these berries forming and and we appreciate them because we had to wait for them and and they're juicy and they're red and they're the real thing.
0: The strawberries come up they're like one of the first things that you can get to eat for in here in Maryland like they're growing while it's still, you know, below zero every night um, in the spring. So it's like this like celebration of spring has come and mm-hmm. this like incredible tasting really good free fruit.
1: Yeah. Uh, and and obviously my story is not about strawberries. It's about a mindset of, you know, there's one mindset of creation is kind of revolving around me and I get to have it if I want it. And I don't give any, I don't put any work into it. I don't put any appreciation or time into it. And the other, the other way of living life is where there is a created order and there are seasons and sometimes I have to wait and I'm going to wait for the real thing. I'm not going to settle for the counterfeit and I'm going to be invested and and thankful and appreciative. And I'm going to respect God's timing. I'm going to respect the way that he ordained creation to work. And I think if every day my hope in my, in my children is to form habits of, hey, the world and the created order does not revolve around you. Um, Pope Francis in Laudato Si, he says, the family is the heart of the culture of life. So he's a holding this, carrying on this Catholic tradition of a culture of life he says, in the family, we first learn how to show love and respect for life. We are taught the proper use of things, order and cleanliness, respect for the ecosystem and care for all creatures. And he says, in the family, we ask or we learn to ask without demanding and to say thank you and to control our greed. And I think this is the idea of a family. You learn to ask without demanding. You learn you learn the proper order, the proper use of things. But I think in our culture where you can have, it's so easy to have what you want when you want it. We just want to appease. And I, I, I'm talking about myself, I'm guilty of this. I think a couple of days ago, my two-year-old was like screaming at me. I'm trying to homeschool and I gave him like, graham, he was screaming for graham crackers and I just appeased him. I gave him his graham crackers. And I think we pay a price for that in the long run. Like in the moment they're appeased, we don't have to listen to them screaming. They're demanding and, and we appease them but, but there's a price to pay. So I'm a millennial, so I'm allowed to talk about millennials.
0: <laughs> I'm not a millennial.
1: You're not allowed to talk about millennials. You're I also not, talk about millennials. You're not like... a, you're, Pete Pete, won for a girl of a different generation. <laughs> 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 just kidding. I'm just four years younger, but apparently I'm my year, I'm still a millennial. But after the election, I was seeing all these just articles about millennials and how, I don't know, they're crybabies and they have to, they have to have what they want when they want it. They can't, um, knock get their way. They can't be disagreed with. And I'm reading it and I'm like, this kind of sounds like toddlers. And I was like, but wh- why am I not seeing articles about the the culture or the generation that raised the millennials? Like what happened, what formed their minds to have to have what they want when they want it? And I think we live in a world where you can appease And and maybe parents, they have circumstances that they don't want. Maybe they have to to work long hours and they can't be there for their kids the way that they want to so you want to keep them happy and you appease and you know everybody has their own TV their own phone their own computer they can eat what they want and there's this constant formation of it's all about me I have to be happy I have to have what I want and our hope is to really raise our children in a way that you have to be a part of creation work with creation and and a, You just can't have what you want when you want it.
0: Yeah, we like we talked about in the last podcast. We feel like we're coming from this place where, where we're just the end consumer of hundreds, maybe thousands of things, and we don't know, we don't really know anything about them. We just consume them, and so. You know that's still true for a lot of things in our life but but we find when we can do something like grow our own strawberries it tend takes something from we're an end consumer and we don't really value the strawberries at all except for you know a quick snack is now we really value them we see mm-hmm. the beauty in them and we know that it's a quality product for our kids and it just becomes something that is, is really satisfying in a deeper way
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: So one of the other ways that that's working for us on a daily way, in a daily basis is every evening um, I go down to the barn with my five-year-old and my seven-year-old and they help me do all of the evening chores. So my seven-year-old loves the chickens, so he takes care of the chickens, he feeds them and Make sure they have water and collects the eggs for the day. Um, and then we shut up the coop. The chickens will just come back to the coop naturally every night. So they'll roam the entire farm during the day and then they'll come back to the coop at night because they just naturally want to be safe and they know that's where their home is. So he takes care of the chickens and then my five-year-old loves the dogs and the cats. So he gives them food and water and we all take care of the cows together and, and you know pet them and maybe give them some hay or whatever they need. And um, it's this really special time. I look forward to it every night because it's just this quality time I get to spend uh, with my two older boys. And eventually the other the babies will come down there, too, when they get older. The
1: boys love it, though. They get their little headlamps on because it's dark now.
0: Oh, yeah. They, they love
1: going down there. It's they so love cute.
0: It. It's a great time together. And um, one of the things that's happening while we're down there is we're just learning to really appreciate these animals and to interact with them. Um, and enjoy them. And so I've learned, I just, I, I, I value cows so much more now than I did before. Like, I know what they look like. I know how they each have their own personality, kind of just like a dog. And um, they're really, really neat. And it, it occurred to me the other day that the thought of something like that, that's such a neat animal being mistreated, is really a sad thought to me now. Yeah. And it's not something that I would have thought about before. Like I didn't know anything about cows. I just, every once in a while you saw them from far away in a field, maybe as you're driving by. And, and I, I didn't really value them because I didn't know about them. Yeah. They weren't,
1: we weren't around them.
0: yeah, Yeah. If your average person saw how their beef was, you know, got to the supermarket, they would be pretty appalled by it. It's it's that bad.
1: Yeah, well, I I think it's kind of sad that we eat meat. You know, some people might eat it every day. Some people might eat it seldomly, but we eat meat, it sustains us, and we never have to really stop and think about the actual living thing. We never have to stop and think it's almost like it's just an object.
0: Yeah, it wow. just comes neatly wrapped in the, in the shrink wrap and its little styrofoam diaper that they put it in.
1: What Di- <laughs> diaper? What does that even mean?
0: It's the little, they, they got the little soaky thing in there that soaks up the, the blood and the juice. Okay. So,
1: I guess a father of four would call that a meat diaper. I don't think anybody else would call that diaper. a meat diaper. Whatever.
0: Yeah, I didn't make that up. I got it from Jack Spierko's podcast, but I really like it. <laughs> so you buy this package of meat and it occurred to me that I would just be very, I'm very saddened that the way these animals are treated. And I think most people wouldn't wouldn't want to support that but we don't know and we don't really appreciate how most of our food gets to the supermarket and well
1: again it's that mindset of hey i want meat now and i'm going to get it i don't care how it comes to me i don't i don't i'm not thinking about the greater picture the greater uh, you know i'm not appreciating it it's just that same that same kind of story of the strawberries but right about meat well i actually the other day i googled cafo's and to show the like for my little i guess lesson for the boys i wanted them to see what industrialized meat looks like so i was googling all the images and they were just horrified i was like can you imagine poor carmella in there? carmella's our cow so i said could you imagine carmella in there i mean right. it's just really yeah. sad
0: yeah so we're trying to opt out of that as as the time is going on and it's become a special experience to to, to do it differently. One of the quotes that Pope Francis has from Laudato Si is that we only have one heart and the same wretchedness that leads us to mistreat an animal will not be long in showing itself in our relationships. So we only have one heart. And I didn't want to mistreat animals. I, I don't want to, you know, but now that I've seen the way that that animals are being treated in, in the Industrialized systems. I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. And he he goes on to say, every act of cruelty towards any creature is contrary to human dignity. So John Paul II really talks about human dignity, and I think just Pope Francis takes it to another level. Like it goes against all human dignity to mistreat creation.
0: Yeah, and we've we've these as globalization and, and technology and all these things have increased, we've abstracted away the difficult parts uh, mm-hmm. so we don't see them we don't see how animals are treated and we don't really know what goes into our food or mm-hmm. if the farmer is able to make it or being put out of business or uh, you know what's happening in a third world country or anything like that mm-hmm. all we see is the the pretty package that we get from the store
1: yeah and I, I use that I, I quoted Pope Francis in the beginning that he says in the family that's where we learn a care for all creatures but I think sadly in the families now We're not really around creatures. We're not really around life. You know, you go from your buildings, from office or school or you know, wherever to inside your house, and we're not really around creatures. And not everyone who's even listening to this is interested in having a a homestead, but I think it's important to just go to your find your local farms and go visit go be around creatures there. Go go learn to be around God's creation from someone else's farm. It doesn't have to be all on you. We have lots of local farms that you can visit and support
0: yeah we've everyone eats multiple times a day it's a part of our life our Mm -hmm. food is a part of our life so gaining that understanding and that appreciation for it however Mm -hmm. that happens and yeah there's lots of people that are do much better in the city or not owning animals and that's great but still being able to get that appreciation somehow for this thing that we're interacting with every day
1: yeah right right and um pete when you were talking about the cows and how you were you and the boys, and well, we, our whole family is really growing in our appreciation and our understanding of of all creation and animals. One quote that I love from Pope Francis is he really he really changes. He kind of calls out this mindset that a lot of people have that, and that mindset is, "Hey, we're human beings; we're the most important. We have been given dominion over the earth and dominion over the animals, and and they're here for us." And Pope Francis, in his encyclical, says okay, that's actually not true. And he said, uh, we're called to recognize that other living beings have value of their own in God's eyes, and they give him glory by his own existence. So these, these animals give God glory. We look at our, our cows, and they are so majestic. You look at them, and you're like, wow, we have such an awesome creator. This this animal is so powerful. And it was actually a funny story about the cows. They, they, they just carry this kind of just what would how would you describe it
0: oh there's d- this peaceful strength
1: yeah they like. this yes they carry this peaceful strength with them and one of the fears that we had when we were getting cows and this will sound silly but it was a legitimate fear our dog Bella the one that I described as being horrible in the beginning she her breed is this breed that just barks uncontrollably so they are meant to be the these watchdogs and they just bark Bark uncontrollably. Oh, shoot, so would never
0: stop barking. That was the so hardest hard. thing.
1: And we found out this breed that we have, it's called a um, Merima sheepdog. This breed, they don't even put them in dog shows because they don't want people to get this breed of dog because they're just so difficult. So she, just, she watches the property, which is great, and she notices if anything is out of order, and then she would just bark without stopping. So one time we had a neighbor call us, and she was so sweet and so polite. And she said, your dog has been barking nonstop for two hours. We're just worried about the dog. Is everything okay? (laughs) I had had tuned it out
0: because she never stopped barking, but I went down there and she was barking at a plastic bag.
1: There was a trash bag that blew into (laughs) a bush and she barked for two hours. So anytime another animal came near the property, she would go ballistic. One time somebody rode a horse down our street. And she went crazy. So we were like, you know what? If we bring cows onto the property, Bella is going to go ballistic. It is going to be a nightmare. Like she's just going to stand at the pasture, barking at these cows all day long. So we were kind of worried about that, but we just said, hey, we'll you know we'll figure it out. So we got these cows, and they come onto the they come off the truck and onto the property, and we are gearing up for this horrible barking, nonstop barking situation. And our dogs, it was like there was just. A hush over our dogs, like they knew that there was something on the farm that was bigger and stronger, and I don't know, above them or something. They did not bark at the cows.
0: It's they they keep their respectful distance.
1: They they keep the <laughs> yes, exactly. So we couldn't believe it, but you know, there's just something about the created order that is just really exciting to see and and to learn about. But you know, Pope Francis says, yeah, all these creatures give God glory. And he says, um, dominion over the earth does not mean unbridled exploitation of nature. Um, It does not mean domination over creatures. We are called to till and to keep the garden of the world. And he says that means cultivating, plowing, working, keeping, protecting, and overseeing and preserving, so
0: right. There's the ecologists will call it a keystone species. Every ecosystem is supposed to have a keystone species, and that's the one that brings order to the ecosystem. So human beings are that keystone species for the for the world. And the reason um, Pope Francis uses the word dominion is because that's the word that was used in Genesis that God mm-hmm. gave us dominion over the earth, which is true. But I think what people what has happened in a lot of places is people think that means we dominate the earth yeah. that we take advantage of it and make it do whatever we want it to and that's the total opposite. We're supposed to be the keystone species that brings order. We have the greatest responsibility, um, and we're we're partnering with Earth. We're partnering with creation to 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 potentially have a beautiful existence here mm-hmm. and make everything work better. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, exactly. So. Throughout this podcast, we're going to be talking about that we building a culture of life. So that's why we wanted to just, in this episode, explain what that means. And and what we mean is a culture that respects all life, all living things, from the little grubs in the soil on up (laughs) to the, the human person. And we want our kids to be trained every single day. I want them, when they respect these animals and they respect God's order and his creation and his timing. My hope is as they grow, they will see other people in that way as something that you respect and not something that you use for your own satisfaction, your own pleasure. Absolutely. So yeah, I think that's it for today. And we've got a little one coming in here. So thanks so much for joining us. And again, we love to hear from you and we look forward to next time.
0: Have a great day, everyone.